Friends, what a joy it is to be with you this morning. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. It's in your bulletin, or you can see it in context in your own Bibles. Today, we're looking at a very peculiar passage in the Old Testament, where the prophet Ezekiel has a strange yet glorious vision of the power of God. So here now, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, which is God's word for us, the word of hope in the midst of despair. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Please pray with me. Now, O Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law and grow these things 30, 60, and 100-fold. Amen. I can't really remember when I last had any hope, and I certainly can't remember when anyone else did either, because really, what's left to hope for? These are the words of Theo Ferron, the protagonist in Children of Men, a film that depicts the despair of a world in the midst of an infertility crisis. In the film, no children have been born in the last 18 years, and society has devolved into a dystopian state of violence 
and chaos. And the people of the world are quickly coming to grips with the fact that the whole human race is going extinct under their watch. Theo's despair in these lines then is fitting, to say the least, of all of society has lost its hope in a better future. And although we have yet to experience Theo's circumstances, in one form or another, we have certainly experienced Theo's despair. When the future comes, it often arrives in a form that we weren't expecting or that we weren't hoping for. Maybe we hoped for a better job situation or a better marriage or a better family life. We say to ourselves, I thought that life would be better or I never thought that things would end up like this. We all know Theo's feelings of desolation and despair. And Ezekiel did too. He and the people of Judah were expelled from their homeland and deported into Babylon, a foreign land with a foreign way of life. He most likely did not dream of leaving his homeland to see his people suffer and to see his wife pass away. He probably didn't long for the city of Jerusalem and the temple of the living God to be utterly destroyed. And he almost certainly didn't want to live out the rest of his life and the rest of his days in exile, never seeing the restoration and redemption of his people in their return from their dispersion. But this is the life that Ezekiel lived. And in our passage this morning, he has a vision of that desolate place where he and the rest of the people of Judah reside. But the Lord brings him to this place, not to despair over the current situation, but rather to realize the hope that he has. And we too are like Ezekiel. We too are brought into desolate places by the sovereign God so that we may see and participate in his redemptive work and therefore know that he is the Lord. And we can know this by seeing three things. We can see Ezekiel's location, we can see Ezekiel's labor, and we can see Ezekiel's Lord, his location, his labor, and his Lord. So first, let us look at his location. So we see here at the beginning of our passage that Ezekiel is taken into the Valley of Dry Bones, as it has come to be known. And the first thing we notice here is that it is actually the Lord who brings Ezekiel to this place. Notice here in verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. The Lord has taken Ezekiel by the hand into one of the most desolate places imaginable. Now here in this place, Ezekiel has a few options. The first option he has is despair which is certainly a natural response to desolation. He could have questioned the Lord saying, Lord, why are we here? Why did you bring me to such a depressing place? Why don't you do something about this? This responsible is natural to many of us, yet it ignores the source and purpose of the situation. First, the source of the situation is actually the sin of the people of Israel. We see later on in our passage that these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Here we see that in, in verse 11. But how did Israel end up in this desolate place? The Lord sent them here ultimately because of their idolatry. 
We see this starting way back in Ezekiel chapter 6, and it's a theme that's revisited all throughout Ezekiel. So really, by their sin, the people of Israel have brought this desolation upon themselves. Now, in light of this, Ezekiel has a second option. He could try to fix it himself. He could pull out some scotch tape, pick up some bones, and go to work trying to restore the people on his own, taping the bones together. Now, it would seem absurd for Ezekiel to try this do-it-yourself solution, but this is often what we do in the face of desolation. No matter how hard Ezekiel tries, he cannot make things right under his own power. Now, I'm not saying that these two responses, uh, one, despair, and two, self-reliance, are wrong, per se. What I am saying is that these two human or natural responses are both woefully inadequate for us when we are facing desolation. Imagine being alongside someone with a gaping bullet wound and merely bemoaning the situation without seeking someone who can provide true assistance. Or imagine the same situation, only instead you go and grab your scotch tape and try to tape over the wound in order to stop the bleeding. Now, it's clear to us just how ineffectual both of these approaches are, but how often in life do we lean toward one of these two responses? Do we look at homelessness in our community, for example, and despair, saying, Lord, why is our society here? Why are the lives of people like this? Why don't you do something about it? Or do we rely on our illusion of self-sufficiency, thinking we can fix the situation on our own? These are very common responses on a societal level, but they're also very common responses on a personal level. How often do we look at our own life situations and despair, saying, Lord, why am I here? Why is my life like this? Why don't you do something about it? Or on the other hand, how often do we rely on our own self-sufficiency? thinking we can repair our broken situations, our broken relationships, or even our broken lives. Well, providentially, brothers and sisters, there's a third response for us. And Ezekiel models that response perfectly here. Friends, we can follow our God, the one source of true hope, trusting in him to guide us to and through our labor. So we see here Ezekiel's response, right? First, Ezekiel obeys the Lord's leading, even when it doesn't make sense. The Lord sets Ezekiel down in the middle of the valley where he gets an up close and personal look at this desolate place. But then the Lord takes him even further, leading him around the bones so that he can get a true sense of the desolation here in this valley. Ezekiel sees that there are very many bones and that they are very dry. The lifeblood has been sucked out of this valley, and the Lord slowly and methodically leads Ezekiel to see every last inch of it. Now, the Lord does this for a reason, and we'll get to that reason here in just a moment. But first, friends, we need to see here that we don't have to resort to despair or self-sufficiency in the face of desolation. Instead, we can rely on the God who brought us there and who leads us to and through that desolation for a reason. Now, what is that reason? Well, that reason is that he has a job for us to do. So now let's look at that labor that God has set apart for Ezekiel. 
after the Lord leads Ezekiel into the valley, he asks Ezekiel a question here in verse three. He says, son of man, can these bones live? Which without knowing the end of the story here seems a little ridiculous. In all of Ezekiel's life experience, he likely has never seen dry bones come to life. I know that I haven't. Yet he doesn't reply with the obvious answer, which would be um, probably not, Lord. I, I don't really think that these bones can live. You know, they're, they're kind of dead here. Instead, what Ezekiel does is he submits to the Lord in his response, where he says, Oh, Lord God, you know. This further shows us Ezekiel's understanding of who the Lord is. He believes that in spite of all earthly evidence otherwise, that God ultimately knows all things and can do all things. But before things get better, they become even more absurd. God commands Ezekiel into his labor, saying, prophesy to the bones. Really, God? Like, these bones don't have ears. How are they going to hear what Ezekiel prophesies? This is absurd. And even if this somehow works, somehow the bones hear um, and follow this prophecy, well, God, why don't you just do it yourself? You could snap your proverbial fingers and do all of the things you say you're going to do. You could lay sinews upon them. You could cause flesh to come upon them. You could cover them with skin. You could cause breath to enter them. And you could cause them to live all just by willing it into existence. So why doesn't God do it this way? Why doesn't the sovereign God of the universe just snap his fingers and do what he wants to be done? It would probably be more efficient that way. But God doesn't do it that way for one primary reason. He sovereignly chooses to work through people so that we may see and participate in his redemptive work and therefore know that he is the Lord who delivers us from desolation. Now, growing up, my dad would sometimes let my brother or me sit on his lap while he mowed the lawn. Now, he certainly could have mowed the lawn much more easily without one of us getting in the way. And we likely did at times mess up those perfect lines that he was aiming for. But dad delighted in his children so much that he wanted to give us the joy of contributing to his work. And so dad, in his love for us, allowed us to enter into this work in order that we might have joy. Brothers and sisters, this is why our heavenly father commands Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. Our God delights in our delight in him. And so he delights to invite us into his work so that we might see his work firsthand and thus know him more deeply. Then by knowing him more deeply, we can more truly delight in him. So then, well, who is, the, who is this Lord who delights in our delight and wants us to know him? Well, first we see that this Lord is the one who led Ezekiel into the valley by the hand, as we saw earlier. We see that this Lord intimately knows Ezekiel, enough to take him by the hand and guide him into this desolate place. Now, this Lord is also the one who fulfills every last word of his promises. Notice verses five and following. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, 
Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, God fulfills every last one of these promises in the following verses, right? The bones come together in verse 7. The sinews, flesh, and skin come together in verse 8. And finally, the breath comes into all of this in verse 10. We see that this Lord fulfills every last word of his promises to his people. But thirdly, and most importantly, this Lord is the one who resurrects his people. Notice here how the bones represent the whole house of Israel, God's people, in verse 11. Remember, God's people are currently in exile because of their sin, and they are nearly despondent. But this God promises to open their graves and to raise them from their graves. He promises to deliver them from this desolate place and from their hopelessness. And he does. First, he delivered them from their physical exile. God brought the people of, of exile back to their own land some 60 years after they were forced out. But the people of Israel were facing a greater spiritual exile, one that we also face. Worse than this isolation that we're facing because of the coronavirus pandemic is the isolation that all mankind faces because of our unholiness. Each week here at Word and Table, we take time to confess our sins, not to be morbid, but to be honest with ourselves. And if we are honest with ourselves, we find that we aren't perfect people by any stretch of the imagination. And the holy and perfect God cannot commune with an unholy people. And our unholiness slays us. The people of Israel were sent into a desolate exile because of their sin. And brothers and sisters, just as the people of Israel were slain by their sin, by being sent into exile. So too are we slain by our sin, our sin that causes our exile from the living God. Paul tells us this in his letter to the Romans, chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But friends, instead of rightly just judging all of us unholy people, God did something about our unholiness. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the punishment that we deserve. Now, notice here that several times in our passage, God refers to Ezekiel as son of man, right? We see this a couple times. Um, here we see it uh, in verse three, right? He said, he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? He also says it uh, in verse nine. He said, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man. And he even says it here in verse 11. Uh, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now, this term son of man emphasizes Ezekiel's humanity. And it shows that he is flesh and bone, a created human being with sinews, flesh, skin, breath, and life. Now, God sovereignly chose to use a son of man, a human being, here in this passage to prophesy to the bones in this vision, telling them of their imminent resurrection. God also chose to use a son of man here in this passage 
to prophesy to the dead bones of the people of Israel, telling them of their imminent resurrection. But God uses the Son of Man, the Lord, Jesus Christ, a human being, not only to prophesy to dead people, but also to achieve the very salvation and resurrection of those dead people. And how did the Son of Man do that? Well, friends, he was slain for us, the slain ones. Just as God did not abandon the dry bones of the people of Israel to desolation forever, so too does he not abandon us to our desolation forever. Instead, he did something about it. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be slain on the cross for us, taking the place of his slain people, entering into the ultimate valley of desolation and despair, all the way to the point of death. But, friends, he did not remain there. By the Spirit, Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, the first fruits of resurrection. And God, who raised Jesus from the dead, raises us with him as well by faith. Now, there is one other time in scripture where a prophet in the midst of a vision says what Ezekiel says here to the Lord God. In Revelation chapter 7, John, the author of Revelation, is witnessing the great multitude saved by faith from every nation. And one of the elders addresses him. Here in Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 13, the elder says, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? Well, John replies, Sir, you know. And the elder replies, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, for those of us in Christ, the whiteness of bleached bones becomes the whiteness of glorious robes. And on that day, when Christ returns to bodily raise us from the dead, we will fully obtain our glorious eternal future. John describes that future in this way, still in chapter 7 of Revelation. Therefore, they, the people of God, are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, and he will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, this Lord, this Lamb, Jesus Christ, was slain to secure for us the glorious eternal life, all that we might know who he, the Lord, is. This Lord is the one who knows each and every one of us intimately. This Lord is the one who leads us by the, by the hand to the places where he wants us to go. This Lord is the one who leads us into desolation for a reason, that we might know that he is the one who redeems us from the pit, and that we might participate in his redeeming and resurrecting work. And he does this all for our joy. 
Now, Theo and the rest of humanity in the film Children of Men placed their hope in a child to be born. They hoped that this child would deliver them from the desolation and despair that they were experiencing. They hoped that this child would bring them peace and joy. Ultimately, they hoped that this child would resurrect their dry bones. But little did they know that the child they sought after had already been born. Brothers and sisters, there was a child born 2,000 years ago, and they called him Jesus. This child came into the world to deliver all of humanity from our desolation and despair. This child came into the world to bring us peace and joy. And he is coming into the world again to resurrect our dry bones once and for all. Friends, look to this Lord, the Lord Jesus, in your desolation and despair. Trust him and know that he is the Lord who rescues his people from all the desolation and despair of our sin. For he has spoken and he has done it. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, that through it, we may know you as you are. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to grow your word in our hearts and minds, that we might cling to the glorious hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.